We're looking back in Zechariah. Zechariah, we're going to have to be quick today. Zechariah chapter 6 today. Now last week we looked at a woman in a basket and a flying scroll. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? Don't the, don't, the, don't the prophets, the Old Testament prophets, don't they fascinate you in the way that God spoke to them in vivid uh, in, uh, dreams and visions? And it's just amazing how the Lord spoke to them. The Bible says in Hebrews, he spoke to them in different portions and different ways and symbols. But, you know, the fullness of the revelation is Jesus Christ. He fulfills it all today. You say, well, why are you going back to the Old Testament? We're New Testament Christians. But we go back and we look at the Old Testament because, number one, all scriptures given by inspiration of God. We love all the scriptures. Shout amen. amen. But we look back at the Old Testament from a New Testament perspective. We're looking at it through the lens of Jesus Christ, our Lord. So wait till the end of the message. You're going you're gonna to see how we're bringing the New Testament in. But today the message is four chariots. And a crown for Joshua. Now what I just said is very strange. Stranger than you know. And I'll show you as we move along in the message today. What a powerful passage. Now we've come to the eighth vision that Joshua had. He had all these eight visions in one night. And here's the eighth vision. And we're going to look at the eighth vision. And then we're going to look at something the Lord added. A little extra information. But a, a four chariots and a crown for Joshua. Chapter 6, verse 1. Zechariah says, I looked up again, and there before me were four chariots. They were coming out from between two mountains, mountains of bronze. The first chariot had red horses, the second black, the third white, and the fourth dappled. All of them powerful. Now, church, this is a vivid dream or vivid vision that he's having. He's seeing chariots and horses connected to these chariots, and they're, they're, they're going out in full speed. I asked the angel who was speaking to me, What are these, my Lord? And the angel said to me, These are the four spirits of heaven going out from standing. In the presence of the Lord of the whole world. We serve the God that's over the whole world. Amen. That's why it's so idolatry is so disappointing. You know, Isaiah talked about that in the 40th chapter. About how you, know, you make these little wood and metal idols and you burn them up. And you know, what can they do compared to the God of the whole world? Our God is creator and he is in control. I would say it this way. He's sovereign. He's the sovereign God. Verse 6. The one of the black horses was going toward the north country. The one of the white horses toward the west. The one with the dappled horses toward the south. When, listen, when the powerful horses went out, they, went, they were straining to go. Can you get the picture in your mind? They were straining to go. Why? God, we're going to hear. God commanded them to do something, and they're going to do God's bidding. They came from the presence of the Lord. And God said, go do this. And they're going to do it. And they're going, they're straining. Can you imagine the nostrils flared of these horses? To straining to go throughout the earth. And he said, go throughout the earth. So they went throughout the earth. 
Then he called to me and he said, look, those going toward the north country have given my spirit rest in the land of the north. And Father, we ask your blessing today on your word in Jesus' name. Four chariots and a crown for Joshua. I know that you've read during our time, we've on and off in Zechariah here. And we've been looking at these eight visions And the Lord's been speaking to his people. They've come back into the land after 70 years. And God said, rebuild the temple. And it got hard, didn't it? It got hard. There was opposition from inside and out. And then they had this great delay of about 16 years now, about 20 years. And then these two prophets come and start speaking. Haggai speaks and challenges the people to get out of carnal living and, and really focus on God's work. And then Zechariah, this young man comes, this young prophet comes, and he starts speaking words of encouragement. And, and then he starts having these very odd, strange visions. And they're really all this imagery of God encouraging people. God's going to cleanse you. God's going to help you. You're going to do it. And they're in vivid form. And you'll remember, this is the eighth vision Once again, all in one night. And here, what we have is something very similar to the first vision. I'll just refresh our memory a moment. It's been a while. In the first chapter, in the eighth verse, he had this first vision. Now, they're similar, but they're different. They're they're similar, but they're different in in emphasis. He said, there was these writers in the night. Chapter uh, 1, verse 8. During the night, I had a vision. And there before me was a man riding a horse. He was standing among the myrtle trees, and behind him were red, brown, and white horses. So there's these men, and there's, they're on these horses that are around these myrtle trees. And what were they doing? They were doing something very different than what these horses in chapter 6, verse 1 are doing. These horses are going out, straining to go. They're going to do the bidding of the Lord. But those horses and those men were going throughout the earth to bring back a report to the Lord because it says... Verse 11, chapter 1, verse 11. And they reported to the angel who was standing among the myrtle trees. We have gone throughout the earth. We found the whole world at rest and at peace. So those were reporting angels. These angels are a little bit different here. What are the ministry of these four chariots in chapter 6? They have a ministry. And they are going out to do the bidding of of the Lord. They're going to do something. What is it that they're going to do? We're going to find out in just a minute. In the first vision, there were many horses and many, and many horses and riders. But in this vision, the eighth vision, there's four chariots and several horses chained to them. What are these chariots? These are not just chariots for leisure. These are, keep this in mind today, these are war horses. These are war chariots. These horses are going out to make war. And they're straining to do it. Let's look at these four chariots and the horses. The scripture says here, they are four spirits. They're symbolic. This is a vision. This is symbolic language. They are four spirits. And they came from the presence of the Lord. And they've gone out from the presence of the Lord. These are basically symbolic of four angels. Everyone say angels. Do you believe in angels? 
Well, you should believe in angels because the Bible said those that fear the Lord, angels encamp around us. Do you know that angels minister to us? They minister to Jesus. They were there at the resurrection tomb. The Bible said in Hebrews 1.14 that angels are ministers sent forth to minister to us who are the heirs of salvation. I thank God for angels. We don't worship angels. They're servants just like we are in a sense. But they are mighty beings. And here the scripture said that these angels were assigned to different parts of the world. We'll look at that. The psalmist said this in chapter 68, the chariots of God are 10,000 and thousands of thousands. The Lord has come from Sinai in his sanctuary. The chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of angels. So the, the presence of these chariots and these horses straining to go suggests there's a battle coming which suggests God is bringing judgments on certain parts of the world. And we'll look at that. Isaiah said it this way. He said in chapter 66, See, the Lord is coming with fire, and his chariots are like whirlwinds. He will bring down his anger with fury and rebuke them with his flames. Now, throughout the scripture, many times there's different visions, and, and there's horses, and the horses have different colors. Now, if, this, if these colors have any meaning, do you remember any other passage of Scripture where there was colored horses? Revelation chapter number 6. The four horsemen of the apocalypse. You have the white horse that's going out to conquer. You have the red horse of war. You have the black horse of famine with the scales. You have the pale horse, which is a pale green, which is the color of maybe you know, chloroform and death. And you have these horses. Here, these horses could symbolize maybe red for war or black for famine or white for death. Or reddish could symbolize plagues. Now, the, the prophet like Zechariah prophesied of their day and things that were happening in their day. But also, they would go past our day and testify to the end times, to what is called the day of the Lord and we know that in the revelation, that in the day of the Lord, that time when God brings his judgments upon this world, what is God going to use? Symbolize our chapter six in the horses, war, famines, plagues, and death to judge the nations. And notice in this vision, there were two mountains that these steeds were coming through. And these two mountains were made of what? Made of bronze. Well, we know that's symbolical because I don't know if you know of any bronze mountains anyway. I don't think I've ever seen those. So this is, once again, this is a vision. And this is symbolic of, of judgment. Do you realize that in scripture, bronze symbolizes judgment? Let me show you what I mean by this. The Lord told Moses to make an altar of sacrifice. And it was to be overlaid with bronze, Exodus 27, verse 1 and 2. What happened on that altar of sacrifice? Sin was to be judged and the animals were to be burned, symbolized of Jesus taking our judgment on the cross. But notice it was to be overlaid with bronze. You'll notice that in the book of Numbers, when the people had sinned and the Lord said, Moses, make a serpent and place it on a pole. What was it? It was a bronze serpent because it was symbolized that God was bringing judgment on sin. We read in the Revelation chapter 1 verse 15 that when Jesus in his glorified 
place and his glorified vision that John saw on the Isle of Patmos. He was coming to judge the seven churches. What did it say? It said that his feet were compared to bronze as they have burned in a furnace. So when there is these steeds going forth, full blast, nostrils flared, they're coming between these bronze mountain. It's telling us a message. God is going to bring judgment. And what is he, what is he speaking? What is the message here? The message is this. God is going to judge the Gentile nations of the world. The Lord has already judged his people. He judged them 70 years in Babylon for their disobedience. But I want you to know this, and I quoted this verse last week, and I read this verse last week. Judgment must begin in the house of God. Remember that? 1 Peter 4, 17. For the time, for, for the time is that judgment to begin with the family of God. Notice And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? God will allow his chastisement upon his holy people. Listen, Hebrews 12 says that his chastisements are not his judgments, but he's chastising the children that he loves. Listen, he's getting us ready for heaven. Because the bride in heaven will not have tattered and dirty garments of this world, but God's bride, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, will be cleansed and sanctified and ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's why there's trials in this life. That's why God allows Christians to go through difficulty. Yes, judgment must begin at the house of God. But dear brothers and sisters, I want to declare to you today this. There is coming what is called the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. There's coming. I know this, is, I know this kind of teaching is abhorrent to a lost world. They, they don't even want to go to a church that would ever mention some kind of God that would judge. But I want you to know if we do not allow the word of God to speak, then we are changing what the word of God says. The Lord is our Savior. Amen. The Lord is our healer. Yes. The Lord is our deliverer. Yes. He's our fortress. He's our comforter. But I declare to you, he is also the judge of this world. And there's coming a day of the Lord. This is what Zechariah is talking about. That judgment is going to come. In the latter part of this book, we will see the end time prophecies that Zechariah gives of what's going to happen in the day of the Lord. Zachariah is seeing this. Can you imagine how he felt? Could you, you know, he was, he was exhausted in the chapter or two before. Spiritual experience exhausts you. I have no issue with somebody falling out under the presence of God. You know why? Because God's powerful. We're weak. Listen, you may, you may come up here and you may fall in the presence of God. Zachariah fell. He couldn't even get up. He needed strength. John fell. Daniel fell. Some of the greatest people to ever love God and serve God. When they experienced his power, they fell. Their physical strength was gone, overwhelmed by the power of God. Can you imagine Zechariah being overwhelmed? He's seeing this as if it's happening. He's seeing the steeds and the chariots and they're straining. He's seeing the bronze mountain and God is saying this, I'm going to judge the Gentile nations. Listen, they've touched my people Israel. They've gone beyond what I told them to go beyond and I am going to bring judgment on those who have abused my people. God is a God of justice. But he sees these horses. They're straining. They're going out to do 
what God has commanded him to do, them to do. From the presence of God, he said, go. Before they were just, in the first chapter, they're just looking around the earth. They're seeing what the world is doing. But now God said, it's time. Go. Go and bring my judgments. I would have to say this. We, we have to agree that all judgment belongs to God. It doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God. And it belongs in his timing and in his place and, and the way he wants to do it. You know, sometimes we say, well, why didn't God do this? Or, you know, God, you're really slow right now. You know, it'd be a great time to do something. But we're not God. Amen. We're fallible. We're limited in our understanding. God is the omniscient God. And he is the God who will act in his own time. It says in the Revelation and the four angels. This, is, this, talk, this shows us that God does things in his own timing. And the four angels who had seen, who, I, who, who uh, had been kept ready... They'd kept ready. These, these are judging angels. Had kept ready for the very hour, the very day, the very month, and the very year. You see that there. God's judgment belongs to God. And it tells us where these, these chariots go. These are war chariots. They're going to war. They're going to make war. Where did they go? The, the black horse went to the north country. That's Babylon. The people have been in Babylon 70 years. God's going to deal with that. The white horse went to, it says to the west, that probably Asia Minor or Greece. The dappled horse went to the south, which is, e, which is Egypt. The red horse doesn't say anything about where he went. So probably saying that God has not released his full fury yet. Remember, judgment belongs to God. He does it in his time and his way and in his measure. But the truth is, God was angry with the nation to the north. It's the Babylonians. The Babylonians. They conquered God's people. I don't have time to go into other passages, but they, they were used by God. They were an instrument by God to bring chastisement. But they had gone beyond God's chastisement. They had gone beyond. Can you imagine how great our God is? He commands certain nations. They don't even know it. To do this and to do that. And he moves them here and he moves them there. And he brings kings up and he brings kings down. He brings nations up and he brings nations down. And they went beyond what he commanded. They abused his people Israel, the Jews. And God was angry with them. And it says here, verse 15 of, this, of chapter 1, But I am very angry with the nations that feel secure. I was only a little angry, but they added, they added to the calamity. Chapter 6, verse 8. In this chapter, he said, I, I looked, he said, in going toward the north country, they have given my spirit rest in the land of the north. Now, when you put all this together, you realize that the Medo-Persians came in and they conquered Babylon with Cyrus. See, they thought they were, Babylon thought they were greater than God himself. It was in Babel. It was in Shinar. They, back in Nimrod's day, tried to build a tower to the sky. It's always... It's always, that Babylon always symbolizes this world, an anti-God system. And even in this world today, there's people that mock God. I saw the other day, and I, I, I say this, I saw a president speak at the National Day of Prayer. It just feels so yucky. A man that's for killing children. Every godless kind of 
feel some immorality, he would have nothing to say. He would never be invited here. Yeah, I can't say he's waiting to get here, but anyway. There's people that mock God. Do you know it's a dangerous thing to mock God? It's a foolish thing to mock a holy God and to mock his clearly defined words. And Babylon wanted to be God. But God said, I'm sending my chariot war horses out to you. You've abused my people. You've ascended to the heavens, you thought, but you're going to be brought down to Hades. And they were conquered. And these messengers are sent out to fulfill the purposes of the Lord. It is clear in Scripture that angels have a ministry. And, and uh, there, are, there are multitudes of angels. There are, there are multiplicities of angels. There are, there are, I mean, you, you read in the Revelation, and there, there, there are thousands and thousands and, and just, just myriads of angels. But there are a classification of angels that go forth and dispense the judgment of God. We see it over and over in Scripture. Let me show you what I mean. The psalmist said this in 78 of Psalms. He unleashed against them his hot anger, his wrath, indignation, and hostility, a band of destroying angels. I mean, if you think angels are little pot-bellied guys playing a little harp, floating around like a little old, little old pot-bellied little thing you see, listen, you, you have lost your mind, brother. <laughs> These are mighty spiritual beings and they go forth and dispense the purposes of God in the earth. When, when Sodom and Gomorrah had filled the cup of God's of their sins, what did God do? He sent angels to deal with it. Look at uh, Genesis 19.1. Two angels arrived in Sodom at the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got... He got up to meet them. He bowed down his face to the ground. Verse 13 of that chapter says, because we are going to destroy this place. Just two angels going to destroy a city. The outcry of the Lord against this people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. The great Assyrian army in the time of Isaiah came against God's people and Judah and Jerusalem. And they came all the way to the gate of the city. And here's what happened. 2 Kings 19.35 says this. <coughs> On that night, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 men of the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were, there were all the dead bodies, all the dead people everywhere. Just one angel. That's what these steeds represent. That's what these war horses represent. The great King Herod, one of the Herods, not, not the great one, not Herod the Great, but one of his sons, was blaspheming God. And look what happens. In, this is new. He said, oh, you're in the Old Testament, Pastor. Well, God's more nice in the New Testament. Yeah, that's what a lot of people think. No, my friend, God never changes. This is Acts chapter 12. Look at this. On an appointed day, Herod wore wearing royal robes, his royal robes. He sat on the throne delivering a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of God and not of man. Immediately, 
because Herod did not give, God, give praise to God, the angel of the Lord struck him down. And he was eaten by worms and died. The word of the Lord continued to increase and spread. Listen, despots may come. Godless kingdoms may rise. But I want to tell you, the word of the Lord is going to continue to rise. The word of the Lord will continue. You can't stop the church of Jesus Christ. And you know why? Because the man who heads this organization died and rose again. And he's seated at the right hand of Father God. He is the head of the church. And we shall overcome in Jesus' name. The gates of hell shall never prevail against the church. Zechariah's vision basically says this. this. This was the message it gave. God was saying, I am in control of nations. I am in control of my church and my people. I am in control of my temple. I am in control of the whole world because I am the God of the whole world. I'm the God of nations. And God's going to judge the Gentile nations at the day of the Lord. Now we have to say this. To add this, God is patient. God is patient. He's been patient with this nation. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but have eternal life. God's patience is he's wanting us to be saved. He's wanting people to repent of their sins, turn their heart to Jesus Christ so they will not be lost in eternity without God forever in punishment. But one day, only known to God, nations do send their days of grace away. People send their days of grace away. They, they do what the scripture said, they fill up the measure of their sins. And then, at that time, only known to God, judgment falls. In Genesis, the Lord spoke to Abraham on this subject. He said, in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. For the sin of the Amorites have not reached its full measure yet. God was being patient with them. He said, how patient? He gave them 400 extra years. He gave them 400 years to get the sin out. Even Jesus said these words to the religious leaders. Fill up then the measure of the sin of your fathers. See, God doesn't want to judge. But there comes a time because judgment only belongs to him. And in his time, in his day, in his month, in his year, they filled up their father's sin. And in 70 AD, God sent the Romans and destroyed the city of Jerusalem. And it was, it's one of the worst Holocaust in the world. A million people died in all of that. You ought to read Josephus' words. So what we have here, we have these chariots. And they're going forth to judge Babylon. They're going forth to judge the nations. But one day, they speak of the future day when God will judge the nations of this world. And they need to be warned. Now, here's the second thing, and I'll be quicker with this. But this is fascinating. We have a crown for Joshua, the priest. Look at it. It's verse 9, verse 9 of the chapter 6. The word of the Lord came to me, take the silver and gold from the exiles, Heldai, Tobijah, and uh, Jediah, uh, who have arrived from Babylon. Go to, the, go to the same day to the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah. Notice, and take the silver and the gold and make a crown. Now, 
Do you understand how odd this is? And set it on the head of Joshua, or the high priest Joshua, the son of Jehozadak. Tell him, this is what the Lord Almighty says. He is the, he, here is the man whose name is the branch. And he will branch out from his place and build the temple of the Lord. It is he who will build the temple of the Lord. He will be clothed with majesty. He will set and rule on his, on his throne. He will be a priest. He will be a priest on his throne. A priest on his throne. And it says, and there will be harmony between the two. The crown will be given to Heldai and Jebijah, Tobijah and Jediah. Him, the son of Zephaniah, notice a memorial as a memorial in the temple of the Lord. How strange. Those who are far away will come and help build the temple of the Lord. And you will know that the, the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. This will happen if you diligently obey the Lord your God. So what's happening here is we're at the end of the eighth vision. The eighth vision is over, and now he adds this to the end of these eight. But this is kind of the culmination of the eight visions. In these visions, God said, I'm going to cleanse you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to judge the nations. But he's basically saying this, you have a future. Do you know you have a future? Do you know you have a blight? you know this church has a future? Do you know we as Christians have a future? We ought to be the happiest people in the world. Heaven. We're heading to heaven. We're heading in the, to the presence of the Lord. We're heading away from sin and sorrow and suffering. This is the hope the gospel gives us. He's basically saying this. The prophet's saying, during the day of the Lord, when judgments fall on the nation, I'm going to punish them for their sins, but I'm going to deliver you. We're going to see that later on. And the climax of all this is Messiah will come. And Messiah will be crowned as king-priest. Now, let me wrap this up. Because I don't think you understand how strange this is. A crown for the priest. Never happened before. Never happened before in the history of Israel. God speaks to Zechariah. And he says to him, there's coming three esteemed guests. And they're going to come and bring an offering from Babylon. Remember I told you, thousands of, thousands of Israelites stayed in Babylon. So some of them have made the journey. They heard they're rebuilding the temple. They're bringing an offering. So these three men bring an offering of silver and gold. The Lord speaks to Zechariah and says, go to meet those men on the same day that they come and tell them, this is what the Lord has told me to do with your silver and gold. He has told me to make a crown and put it on the head of the high priest. Now, here's the issue with that. Zerubbabel was the governor. Zerubbabel was the, he was the one in the Davidic line of David. And yet, the prophet says to these people, I'm going to put a crown on the head of Joshua, the high priest. They probably thought, well, is he taking over? Is Joshua going to be the king? Is Joshua the high priest going to be the king now? Are we going to, is this a coup? What is this? And here, here's another issue. Another issue is that the offering was to rebuild the temple. But I'm sure that Zechariah said this to these, all these people. I'm sure it took him a little while to take the gold, make it a crown. 
So here Joshua, he has a coronation service. And I think he explains to the people that were there, these men that gave the money, the Zerubbabel was there, Joshua was there, many leaders, maybe all the leaders, maybe there was a big crowd there. And he explained this. He explained that Joshua and Zerubbabel were men of signs. They were men that pointed to something in the future. And here's what it pointed to. It pointed to our day. And it actually pointed beyond our day. And he placed that crown on Joshua's head. And he said, this is the branch. And he said, these two offices of ruler, king, and priest would be meshed together. Anyone guess how they're going to be meshed together? Several centuries later, God spoke to a little Jewish girl named Mary. And God said, the Holy Spirit will come on you. And that which is in you shall be of the Lord. It will be God with us. He will be called Jesus and he will save his people from their sins. See, then they took the crown. Joshua didn't keep the crown. He took the crown back from him, gave him his priestly work and his priestly mitre. They took the crown, placed it in the temple as what? As a memorial. It was as a memorial. In other words, every time they saw that crown, that special crown that was made, because never in the history of Israel had the two offices been, I mean, a, a priest would never wear a crown. They wore the mitre, but not the crown. That was for the king. They took it away from Joshua after the coin. They placed it as a memorial. Why? It was a promise. There's coming one who will be a priest king. There's coming one who will merge these two offices together. And I declare to you, his name is Jesus Christ, our Lord. And right now he's king. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he's also our great high priest who deals with our sin. He rules and he leads his church today. It's Jesus Christ. Everyone say, Jesus Christ. He died as the lamb, as our high priest. He didn't offer a lamb. He offered himself as the lamb. And he is the king of kings. And he is the Lord of the lords. And he's coming to rule and reign. And he will be priest king. He will, he will reign in the order of Melchizedek. Priest king. And this was a symbol. That one would come. And I tell you today, not only would he come, he has come. Yes, yes. He has come. He's going to come. He's going to judge the nations. So what does it say to us today? We need to get our sins out. We don't want to die in this lost world. We don't want to, we don't want to be a part of what's going to happen to those who reject the mercies of God. Do you have sin in your life today? You need to repent. The empty gospel message today that we hear, Jesus, come to Jesus, gonna, he's got a wonderful plan for your life. Oh, I'm going to get a new car, a new house. Wow. But you ever notice in the Bible, when everybody sees Jesus, they got suffering. They got a cross. They got persecution. Kind of different than it is today. No, you have to deal with sin. We have to get the sin out. We have to let the, the priest offer, our great high priest, approach him because his blood will cleanse us today. Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads today. Father.
today. We thank you for your mercies, for your kindness. What an amazing vision. What an astounding vision. What an astounding vision. Horses, chariots, running full speed toward the north, toward the south, toward the west. And a crown for the priest, unheard of in Israel. Joshua might have even shrunk back and said, no, what is this? We don't do this. And Zechariah said, no, no, no. This is what God says. <coughs> the offices will be merged. The offices will be merged. And he will come and deliver Israel in the last days. He will come. He will cleanse Israel. But church, he will also cleanse us. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. We serve the king priest, Jesus. And church, I want you to know he can meet every need of your life. He can meet every single need of your life. He can meet your sin need and, 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 and give you overcoming life. He can meet your need. He can help you. He's our helper. He's our king. He's our ruler. He is Lord of all. But he's also a savior. Hallelujah. Anyone need prayer today? I don't even know how to really focus this here. Anyone, as our heads are bowed, just for a moment, just... If you need prayer today, let me see your hand. Just let me see your hand. I need prayer today, Pastor. Lord, speaking to my heart. Anyone across this room, I just need prayer in my life. I don't know what it's about. God bless you here. God bless you here. God bless you here. God bless you. I just need prayer today. I just need the Lord to help me today. I need my king priest. Here's how we're going to close this. I want you to just, if you would, would you join you can use sanitizer later. Join the hands of that person next to you, especially if they raise their hand. Just join that person's hand. And here's what I want you to do. The Bible says, pray for one another. Would you do that? This I want you to pray for one another. Just pray for that person. Just lift them up to the Lord. Let the love of Jesus flow through you today. Just forget about your need and just pray for that person. Lord, help my brother. Help my sister. God, give them peace and grace. Lord, if they're struggling with the sin, help them to know they can overcome. If they're discouraged because of delays and problems, Lord, give them your joy today. Give them your peace today. Give them your love today. Oh, let the cords of your love bind us together on this wonderful Sunday morning. We worship your wonderful name. We glorify your great and amazing name. Work miracles in our lives. Work miracles through this church. Miracles of blessing. Let the blessing of God flow upon us. Let every spiritual blessing just be poured out in a marvelous and in a wonderful way. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Isn't the body of Christ beautiful? Isn't the body of Christ just the most amazing, wonderful place there is? As we conclude this time, <coughs> I want to encourage you if, you. if you need to get right with the Lord, you don't need a priest. You need to call upon the Lord. Tell him, Lord, I repent of my sins. I turn to you, Jesus. I trust you. He will hear you. And he will abundantly pardon. The world needs to hear this, don't they? I ordered a box of tracks. 
I'm, I'm gearing up. I'm gearing up for war. Come on, amen. Spiritual war, that is. We got a box of tracks coming from California, of all places. Can any good thing come out of California? But uh, I've got some tracks, and I'm going to pass them out. That's a, you know, that's a great way to, to have a conversation starter. I want you to stand. And our, our commission this morning, as we leave this place, thank you for being patient. I went a little bit over, but Jason took longer than he should have. So, hey. Hey, listen, I'm always looking for somebody to blame something on. And you'll probably blame it on Stephanie for some reason, right? Poor old Tim out there. Oh, poor Tim. So let's pray for Tim. I'm about to buy his lunch today, I think. Here's your commission today, if I could be so bold. Would you share Jesus with one person this week? I mean, just tell them Jesus loves them. Ask them, do you know the Lord? Pray for them. Tell them, I'll pray. Do you have a prayer need? Oh, it'd be so wonderful. You'll feel so good in your heart. So, Father, today as we leave this place, we've heard this message that you are going to bring judgment. It's true. But, Lord, before your judgment falls, there is mercy available to every lost person. You so love the world that you gave your son. This is how you demonstrated your love. And, Father, I ask that you would help each and every one of us to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit this week. And, Father, I ask that each of us would have the boldness of your Spirit to share Christ with one person, one person. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. I love you, church. Be friendly as you go. Join us for our podcast on Wednesday evening, 7 o'clock.